Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Welcome you to the Torah study this morning. It's a double portion in Leviticus 25 and 26. Uh, and uh, uh, we're in uh, uh, portions 32 and 33, so time is marching on. It's amazing how quickly things go today. Um, I want to dig into the biblical concept of success and prosperity that God brings up this week. And so I've entitled today's lesson is Thou Shalt Prosper, Seven Keys to Your Success. Amen. And so it's not a coincidence that we're in this 50-day journey between Passover and Pentecost. And it's not just a spiritual journey that God has us repeat uh, every year on his divine calendar. It's a spiritual journey of change and transformation. Uh, But in ancient wisdom, it's also known as the journey to prosperity. And so let me explain. Uh, God's plan for everyone's life not only includes spiritual growth as a child of God, but also financial growth. And this is well documented in one of my personal favorite scriptures from 3 John 2 that says, Beloved friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and that you continually enjoy good health just as your soul is prospering. Amen. Amen. And notice what it says, just as your soul is prospering. It tells us that for the most part, prosperity is an inside job. It begins in our soul, which is our mind, our attitude, our emotions, our personality, the way we view the world. Our Lord said it this way in Matthew 12, verse 35. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. The heart is the inner man, the spirit and the soul. And so we can't miss the point of the journey Uh, that includes this aspect of building up a reservoir in our hearts of good, godly wisdom and knowledge. Amen? Now all of this uh, uh, comes from and is the backdrop uh, for coming out of Egypt, which was Passover. 42 days earlier, we celebrated Passover. And... uh, Uh, Israel is coming out of Egypt, and they needed to be transformed from the crushing negativity, you've got to understand this, that came with being a nation of slaves. For over 200 years, they suffered brutal torture in moral indoctrination by Pharaoh and the government of Egypt. And what that did is it had an adverse effect on their vision 
on their hopes and dreams and plans and purposes. It damaged that. God had promised Abraham some great things. Yeah, and uh, now that was all being damaged and destroyed by the world, by the enemy. And so rather than Israel abiding under the shadow of El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, they were continually subjected to the horrors of slavery and the extraordinary levels of insufficiency that came with it. This is Israel's predicament. And in a sense, we can all relate to that in our own unique way in growing up. We can relate to this. So God understands this. And so what God does is he says, I'm going to create a 50-day journey out of Egypt. And during that 50 days, I'm going to help you transform so Egypt gets out of you. And so every year we lather, rinse, repeat. Why? Because renewing the spirit of our minds doesn't happen by Friday. Right? Well, I did that once. Renewing our mind, renewing our vision, reconnecting to the promises of Abraham, the promises of the Bible, uh, is a constant thing. And uh, the 50 days is symbolic of that. We understand that finally uh, at the, on the 50th day, which we'll celebrate next uh, Sunday, is when the day of Pentecost had fully come. There's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got power. When you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the promises of God. When you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got wisdom and strength and power to overcome. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, the 50 days uh, is... Uh, tells us the principle uh, in Proverbs 23.7. In Proverbs 23.7, we've learned this uh, growing up in our Christianity, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? So if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Amen? And so how we think about everything affects everything. Okay? So God wants to get us connected, plugged into the Word so deeply that no matter what my background, my experience, no matter this, that, or the other thing, I'm more connected with the B-I-B-L-E than the world's definition. Egypt doesn't define me anymore. All right. And so Israel needs a new worldview. They need a new vision, right? They need a new set of values different from Egypt. They need to become new creations. So do you and I. We are new creations in Christ. Hallelujah. And as we walk in that revelation of what it means to be a new creation, this is what leads to the blessed life. All right? Israel on that journey is on their way where? To the promised land. Amen. I'll take a a promised land for 200. (laughs) 
God has a promised land for each of us. The devil is a liar. He works nonstop to convince people, Christian and otherwise, to believe that there's no good in this world. That there's no hope, there's no future, there's no opportunity, there's nothing for you in this world but misery. We bind that ungodly spirit in the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God. So, this is the foundation that God gives us this week and, uh, you know, this season. And it leads us into one of the most fascinating guidelines in Leviticus 25 of Shemitah, letting the land lie fallow every seventh year. In Leviticus 25.1, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years will you sow your fields, and six years you will prune your vineyards, and you will gather your produce, and in the seventh year there there shall be a Sabbath of rest for the land, a Sabbath to God. This is Shemitah. And the Hebrew word Shemitah means release, release. And it points us to how God wants to release us from being indebted. He wants to release us from a slave mentality. And he wants to release us into success and prosperity and achievement. And we're going to delve into some of this today. Um, Shemitah actually requires a level of faith and trust that God's going to give you a three years worth of blessing. We're going into a Schmitte year, officially, unofficially, uh, uh, here beginning on Rosh Hashanah in September, we'll start the seventh year. Uh, right now we're in the sixth year. And so uh, the three-year blessing that God needed to bring Israel, symbolically, we can begin to claim that ourselves as we head into the seventh year, a year of rest, a year of blessing. God has to bring enough harvest into our lives for the sixth year, this year, to carry us through the seventh year and enough to carry us beyond into the eighth year until another harvest comes. God is a God of abundance. He is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. And so we need to fight back against indoctrination by the devil and all of his crew into thinking that God doesn't care about these things. God deeply cares about these things. And it's one of the solutions he gives us to help level the economic playing field for all of God's people. Because every seventh year, he commanded that those that were indebted be released. If you had to go into debt to be an indentured servant, a domestic servant, uh, after seven years of that, That's it. Your debt is canceled. 
Amen. And then after seven of these sabbatical cycles comes the great jubilee. Hallelujah. Who knows about Jubilee? It's a time when everything reverts back, the land reverts back to the original owner. And just a side note, this is the tribulation. When you look at the end times and the tribulation, how long is the tribulation? Seven years. Amen. And that's going to lead into a jubilee experience because it's the world being taken away from those that uh, would rule it ungodly and put back into the hands of the original owner, the Lord God Almighty. But it's showing us this uh, uh, concept and principle of Shemitah that God's concerned about everyone's state of freedom. He's concerned that we have liberty. He's concerned that we have independence and that whatever is in our heart to do, placed there by the Holy Spirit, we can go on and do that. that. That doesn't mean that someone that's not doing that is less. That doesn't mean that we should look at that person with a jaundiced eye and thinking, well, they're, they're trying to uh, do something they shouldn't do to try to get ahead of me. Get your eyes off of the other guy and remember success is an inside job. It begins within you and a good man will bring forth good things. Yes. Amen. Amen. But what's going on here, so there's several principles. Number one, uh, God expects us to pay our bills, right? Otherwise, uh, he wouldn't permit that you would, you would go to somebody, look, I can't pay, I'm in overwhelming debt, I'll work for you and work off my debt, yada, yada, yada. Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. How many generous givers do we have in here? I see all your hands. The issue here is that debt makes it harder to be a generous giver. Okay? The second thing is, as we're taught in Proverbs 22.7, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt especially overwhelming credit card debt and loan debt, is a form of slavery. You get yourself so deep in debt, everything that you're earning and working towards is going to the lender. And you're not saving a dime. And we could go into all of that, and uh, we don't want to depress you. (laughs) But thank God he's opening the eyes of our understanding. And we're doing the good plan. You know what the good plan is? Get out of debt. That's the good plan. And so that means we need to curb some of our spending and reprioritize some things. Because unless you do, you're going to have a form of slavery going on in your life. And you'll never get to the point where you can be a generous giver. And that's part of the price to be paid. 
But the good news is because of Shemitah, Jubilee, the Lord authorizes a supernatural flow of restitution. There may be things in your family history where uh, uh, prosperity was stolen from your family. Where your family was treated unjustly. The last thing in the world you want to do if that happened is go around being ticked off. Because God doesn't move in your life if you're ticked off. He moves by faith, not because you're ticked off. An angry spirit doesn't accomplish the will of God. But when you begin to see what they stole from my grandparents, from my great-grandparents, God promises me that he'll restore that into my life. Father, thank you for returning that into my family. I give you thanks and praise and I love you and I, I will not use this unwisely, but I'll sow this into my family's future and I'll sow it into the kingdom of God. It's not a coincidence that uh, the 50 years, uh, 50th year is a jubilee year and the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. Why 50? It's a mini jubilee. Every year God ordained for you and I to experience a mini jubilee through those 50 days. But no one taught us this. And this is his appointed time. And as we tap into the revelation, the truth, the knowledge, the insight, that our traditional church didn't tell us this. Why didn't you tell us this? Because they didn't want us to be connected to our Jewish roots. So Shemitah is designed to release people from being indentured servants. A form of slavery in modern day translate where we're indebted to other people with everything we own. It also allowed the land to regenerate. No agricultural work would be done in the seventh year and it actually becomes in a sense ownerless and available for all. The general idea here is that for six years you own the property and all the harvest. You work the land as hard as you want. And God will provide a miracle harvest, bumper crops, and you can succeed on your own six of those, those seven years. But on the seventh year, you enjoy no special claim. What is God saying? He's saying that everything you're working for is not meant just for you. That's been the uh, problem with the charismatic prosperity message. It's all about me. It's all about my pink Cadillac. (laughs) In the 80s, that was a symbol of the prosperity slash greed message. But here God is saying the landowner is at one point, that seventh year, going to share with the less fortunate. Leviticus 25.5 says, The aftergrowth you shall not reap, nor shall you pick. The produce is not only for you, but for slaves, laborers, and even animals have a share. God is building a generous spirit into the morality of Israel. 
If you're part of Israel, the nation of Israel, part of the Jewish people, and you and I now, Judeo-Christians that are grafted in, we need to develop this vision of being a generous people, that we're blessed to be a blessing. That's the foundation of success, and it combines with sowing and reaping. And here's the spiritual key here. While each person can and should live an abundant life, we should be pursuing an abundant life. We should be pursuing increase, abundance. But it's not solely for our own personal benefit. Come on, somebody. We need to develop a benevolent conscience, caring for the less fortunate. Amen? So God is saying, six years, get it on. I want you to be a free market capitalist for six years. But it's all conditional. Because you're called to be a compassionate capitalist. Right? I wish uh, more people understood that. Even in the New Testament, this principle comes up. For instance, in Acts 2.44. All of those trusting in Yeshua stayed together and had everything in common. In fact, they sold their property and possessions and distributed the proceeds to all who were in need. Compassionate capitalism. You can't sell what you don't have. And you can't be a blessing if you need a blessing. If you always need a miracle, it's hard to be the miracle. And God wants us over these 50 days to transition and transform and renew our vision, renew uh, 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 what we're seeing and how the plans of God work. James one twenty seven says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the widows and orphans. So this is meant to be part of our psyche, part of our uh, uh, aim and goal as believers. Because prosperity has a moral side. And so God legislates our obligation to be a blessing. You are obligated. Well, I'm not, I don't have, there's nothing I have. You are obligated. And I'll have that debate with any Christian who says we're not obligated. We are obligated to be a blessing. There are duties and responsibilities that we have as believers. Don't let the devil trick you into thinking, well, I don't have to do nothing, I'm under grace. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And even if a person had to indenture themselves, there was hope. There was hope that at the very least, they could become free again in the Schmitte year. Nowadays, it's our tithe, it's our stedka offering, it's our first fruit offering that's all part of God's system of compassionate capitalism. And so, be an entrepreneur. Come on, somebody. Take advantage of the free market. 
develop yourself to the highest levels of success and knowledge and wisdom with hard work and good stewardship. Right? And on the way, be a blessing. Don't build bigger barns and hoard it all unto yourself. Be rich towards God. Not just in your Wells Fargo account. Amen? And so not only does it encourage this mindset of compassionate capitalism, it discourages the negative aspects of gathering wealth. The love of money being the root of all evil. The greedy things that come along with it. We have to fight against that, countermanage that. And we need to continue to work on our benevolence. Now let's be clear, I'm not talking about socialism. Say amen. Amen. In God's kingdom, we're given the freedom to pursue our dreams. We can become anything we want to in this world. And we need to see that and believe that. Now the world would want you to deny that. No, you can't become anything you want. You're, you're disenfranchised. You're underprivileged. You, you'll never make it. You can't become that. Well, if a woman or a man thinks he can, or if a woman or a man thinks he can't, they're right. Become what you want. God, this is what I feel that you're calling me to become. I want to become a business owner. I want to develop my career. I want to climb the ladder of advancement and success. And I need your help, Lord. Guide me and lead me and help me stick to the values and principles and standards that are in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So it's not socialism. Here's some interesting quotes on socialism. Because there's a lot of talk right now in the United States that was founded like most countries were never founded as free market capitalistic countries. Most countries around the world are totally different. Winston Churchill said, uh, all men are created equal, says the American Declaration of Independence. But socialism says all men shall be kept equal. See the difference. He also pointed this out, and I believe this, and I know that millions believe this. And we need to fight for America's values and traditions because the inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The vice of capitalism, Winston Churchill, is the unequal sharing of blessing. In other words, greed gets involved. And pretty soon I become a financial hoarder instead of a conduit. The Christian way is to be a conduit. But listen to this. The inherent vice of communism and socialism is the equal sharing of misery. Think about it. No socialist system can be established without a political police. We kind of see that right now. 
right? The cancel culture, censoring Christian speech, declaring the church is non-essential in so many areas around America. And then they go after people that want to stand up and say, no, I have a First Amendment right to say Jesus is Lord and no government is supposed to stop me. And yet they're trying to stop us. The political police. The flame of Christian ethics is still our best guide, Winston Churchill. Only on this basis can we reconcile the rights of the individual with the demands of society. This is Schmitta. This is sowing and reaping. This is being benevolent that we reconcile our personal desire and motivation to achieve and excel with being benevolent to the less fortunate. It's not someone else's job. It's the church's job to lead the way. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Right now, there's people in our society that are misrepresenting Stedka and social justice. Included in the claims that are out there right now, success, prosperity, achievement, advancement, wanting to get ahead is somehow immoral. It's somehow corrupt. It's somehow now being looked down upon. Why are you trying to be better yourself? To make me look bad? No. I just want to better myself. There's a godly nature in me that wants to improve and excel and achieve. It's not racist. It's the God nature. Don't let secular humanists set your value system. Be smart enough to look beyond. Look, even the people that are promoting all of this, how ironic the people that promote this false ideology have everything money can buy. They're flying around in private jets. They're living in Beverly Hills. They got a black American Express card, right? They can buy anything. And yet they want to say, your desire for that is wrong, it's immoral and corrupt. That's why the system has to be burned down. Now as a Christian, think about what's being said. They're basically telling us that there's not enough to go around. If you have more than someone else has less, because there's only one size to the pie. Our God is a baker and he makes thousands of pies. There's more than enough to go around. He is El Shaddai. He's Jehovah Jireh. Now, who would be behind trying to trick people into believing there's not enough to go around? That ain't Jesus. That ain't the Holy Ghost. God says, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I am El Shaddai. And when you're a blessing like Abraham was a blessing, I will bless you with an unlimited blessing so that the whole world will call you blessed. Don't fall for the system of crabology. Have you heard about crabology? You know, if you put all the crabs in a bucket 
And one crab tries to climb out of the bucket. What do the other crabs do? Pull them back down. That's what the devil's trying to do. Crabology, Satan style. I tried to get out, but the devil pulled me back down. Amen. That's not God's plan. Right? God has a different framework. And so as we close today, I got to thinking about this. See, when I uh, got saved, I got saved in a church that had five to 7,000 members. And I went to their Bible college. And then I uh, got onto the staff, and suddenly I was working with the children's pastor. We had uh, 300-plus kids in the elementary school that was there. Uh, on Sunday morning, there were 150 four, fifth, and sixth graders, and there was 250 K through third graders. And every Sunday and Wednesday and all the programming and activity. And suddenly uh, uh, I went to uh, my dear friend Orville who was leading that ministry. And I said, we we need to start uh, organizing and coordinating this at a higher level if we're going to bring quality ministry. And so we began to study business concepts. And uh, uh, we fell in love with a particular uh, business leader and motivational speaker named Brian Tracy. And I looked uh, up some of his stuff this week, and I came across The Seven Secrets of Success by Brian Tracy. Uh, And these are seven essential principles that as an entrepreneur you need to practice whether you're a minister of the gospel running a church running a life group running some kind of department you're a department head uh, uh, you want to start your own business what do I need to be thinking about to achieve maximum success I wish they would teach this in in public school the first thing is clarity You need to be absolutely clear on who you are and what you want and what you stand for. What do you believe? What are your goals and plans for your life, for that business, that ministry? What are your values? What is your vision for you, your family, your finances? Vision is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. Do you have a vision for your spiritual life? You can't just have a vision to bump along. (laughs) Come on. Amen. What about your career, your company? Begin to pray about these things. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about these things. And he'll guide you into a clear vision. You'll be able to develop an inspiring mission statement for your life that motivates you to do whatever work is necessary to climb that ladder of success. And the greater clarity, the greater you understand your values, your mission, your purpose, the greater probability you're going to accomplish something. Amen. And this is all centered around Proverbs 29.18. Where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. That's talking about people just bumping along. 
Well, it's one thing to accept Jesus as your Savior to receive eternal life. It's a whole other thing to receive Jesus as Lord and work out your salvation that leads to an abundant life. So clarity. Number two, competence. Amen? To be truly successful, you've got to be good at what you do. Right? Half uh, Rough enough isn't good enough. Stop giving yourself the excuse, well, I did my best. It was only half-baked, but, you know, God still loves me. Don't cop out, right? If you want excellence in your business, your career, your ministry, then you have to dedicate yourself to quality work. Offering yourself, what I do is quality. When you see me show up, quality shows up with me. Amen? And on top of that, one of the most valuable assets you could ever have is your reputation, right? Your reputation basically is defined as how you're known to others. It's not what you think of yourself, although, yeah, there's a big importance. Yeah, I'm quality, I'm on my way to the blessing, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a money magnet, I'm this, I'm that. Uh, but what do others think of you? What does your boss think of you? Right? And this also revolves around the level of quality of service you're providing. Right? Everything you do is a self-portrait. So autograph your work with quality, right? Let's do that. Amen. This is uh, summed up in Daniel 5.12. Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, had exceptional ability, is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. And he'll tell you what to do. Nice reputation. Amen. Number three, constraints. There's always going to be constraining factors, limiting factors, obstacles that come between you and your goal. I can assure you the devil is going to try to block your advancement. You need God's wisdom to see what's blocking your advancement. God, show me what's blocking. And usually, 80% of the time, it's not something out there. It's something in here. God, fix what's in here. So I can go on and become all you've called me to be. And that's Romans 12 too. Stop imitating the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Amen? Amen? Number four, creativity. Creativity. We need creative innovation. You are a genius. Everyone was born a genius. I've got an 11-month-old grandson, and I remind him, you are a walking genius. So I make sure I just don't, my main word isn't no. (laughs) No, that's what's gone on in our psyche. We've grown up and everybody's been telling us no, 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 and all the different forms that no means. 
And suddenly we develop a no inside consciousness. God said every promise to you is yes and amen. (laughs) Now we just got to work that out. And creativity uh, helps us to do that. It helps you to solve problems. It helps you to eliminate obstructions to the experience. We're big uh, here at New Beginnings and at Larry Huck Ministries of giving our customers and donors the best experience they can have. We have a customer service department that says, no one does it like you guys. We've got 165 clients and you're the best when it comes to customer experience because we want to put ourselves in the donor's place and eliminate the objections and the bad feelings or experiences that they might have so that they can have a great customer experience and want to stay connected. Amen. Amen. And this is Exodus 35, 31. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. See, we need to go after this. The church, traditional church, isn't going to teach you any of this. They might even consider it heretical, blasphemy. You're trying to succeed. Well, you're in line with the secular humanists that want me to live in crabology. I bind you too. <laughs> All right, so what do we got here? We got clarity, number one, competence, number two, constraints, number three, creativity, number four, number five, concentration. Concentration. Your ability to concentrate on the most important things in your career, in your pursuits, uh, and stay at it until you get it done, that's a prerequisite. you got to have a stick to Say that three times fast. No success is possible without the ability to sustain concentration on your goal and purpose. you got to get after it. The simplest way to do this, work from a prioritized list. Don't let the telephone drive your day. The emails don't drive your day. You're focused on what are the key things on my list that have to absolutely positively get done. And bless the Lord, we're going to do that. Right? So that means you need to develop the ability to distinguish between high-value tasks and low-value tasks. Everything that's urgent isn't necessarily important. Right? Lord, help me to discipline myself, to concentrate on the priorities, not just what seems urgent. And when you make a habit of doing this, you're on your way. Hallelujah. Joshua 1.7 says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions. Do not deviate, turning either to the right or the left. That's concentration. Focus. Amen. Amen. And when you do that, the Bible says you'll be successful in everything you do. Boy, you got to love that. I love the Lord. How many of you love the Lord today? Number six, courage. 
Entrepreneur means one who undertakes the risks of a new venture in pursuit of profit. You undertake a risk. Inherent in risk-taking is risk. (laughs) Right? And it takes some courage to take some risks. We can't just live life in our comfort zone, right? There's... uh, There's no guarantee what you're launching off into will succeed. But you'll learn a lot along the way and be better prepared the next time. But I can assure you, if you sit in your comfort zone for the rest of your life, I can assure you, you won't succeed. That's where courage comes in. Lord, give me a courageous spirit to persist against any obstacle, against any devil, any demon, any power, principality, any man-made obstacle. I bind and rebuke those things in the name and by the blood, and I release a courage in my life, a faith in my life uh, to accomplish everything that you've called me to do. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy 31.6, do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Believe in that. Amen. Number seven, continuous action. A key quality is that He or she is in continuous motion, always trying out new things. If you, uh, just the law of probability. If you learn more things, try more things, persist longer, you dramatically increase the probability of success. (laughs) Second Chronicles 15.7 says, Be strong and courageous for your work shall be rewarded. Amen. Your work shall be rewarded. Another great business leader and motivational speaker, Jim Rohn, once said, the greatest reward in becoming a millionaire is not the amount of money you earn. It's the kind of person you have to become to become a millionaire in the first place. The kind of person you become. Success is an inside job. And understanding God's values, God's priorities, God's purposes, that's what we need to get back to. Jesus talked about uh, in the parable of the talents that he that, that the uh, 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 three men had received three different levels of blessing. And two of them parlayed that into even more blessing while the other one hid everything that he started with, sat on it, and didn't do a thing. He wasn't the one that heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Then start parlaying the gifts and talents that you have. You're a unique individual. There's nothing that can stop you. Nothing is impossible with God. God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. But to have more, you first have to become more. Amen? Amen. And as you develop these things over time, you're, you're, you're already on your way. You're here. You're on your way to being an exceptional person. 
It's all part of God's plan. And it's epitomized in this 50-day journey on being a compassionate capitalist. How many of you come into agreement with me that my best is yet to come? If you do, then give the Lord a big hand clap. Amen this morning. Praise the Lord.